Please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. If I were to start out this morning by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You could continue on, right? We're going to go through four verses in Luke chapter 11. What Jesus gave his disciples was a pattern of prayer. A pattern of of prayer. So let's read through and see what the Lord has to say about this teaching to his disciples and to us this morning. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. O fathers, we read as what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Lord, it is a template. Lord, it is the very pattern by which we ought to pray, to seek you, to enjoy fellowship with you. Lord, acknowledging who it is that we're praying to, that you are separate, you are like no one else. There is none like you. That we desire above anything and everything that your will be done, not ours. Lord, that we acknowledge your provision and we are satisfied, we are content with it because we have you. And Lord, that, Lord, as we ask you for forgiveness because we are in desperate need of asking you for forgiveness. Lord, we would not take your grace for granted, but we would also forgive others. And as we forgive others, and we petition you, Lord, that we also ask that you would strengthen us, that you would not give us over, Lord, to our desires as we are tempted but rather choose to walk in your ways and not ours, that we we may honor and glorify you. And so bless our time together. I ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us, would give us understanding, and would empower us, Lord, to apply these things that you may be glorified in our lives, individually and also collectively as a church. And so, Father, we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. C.H. Spurgeon 
said, quote, to pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. He also said, quote, it is well said that neglected prayer is the birthplace of all evil. He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal, close quote. Prayer is something that Jesus gave himself to regularly. He participated in it, not on an occasion, but regularly, daily he would do it, seeking communion with the Father. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, in the Amplified Version, it is written, But he himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray in seclusion. You see, as we perhaps think about the prayers that were offered in the day of Jesus, we think that there were other prayers. Uh, Jesus' prayers, though, were not like those that were offered up by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders of the time. Those long, rote players, prayers that were mechanical and repetitive in nature. The prayers that seemed to elevate man instead of elevating the name of our Lord, praising themselves instead of praising God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And he goes through and teaches them how to pray. A.W. Tozer said, Prayer is an ascent of the mind to God. It is an elevation of the mind. Saying that it is an ascent simply means that it ascends to God. But saying that it is an elevation of the mind indicates that there's something you've got to do to elevate it. God is above all creatures. Close quote. Prayer indeed, and this is what we ought to acknowledge, prayer indeed is an ascent, an elevation of the mind to God. It is the desire of God to have fellowship with you. That is remarkable in and of itself. That should be beyond our comprehension that the creator of the universe thinks so much of us that he desires to hear from us. Prayer is that intimate time when one expresses a love for the Lord and a desire to commune with Him. That's why it is beyond comprehension comprehension, that we neglect prayer. That we not use and, and redeem the time that we do have to seek Him. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And yet... 
for too many people, we only pray when we are in desperate need of his help. We pray on occasion. We don't seek him like as if our lives depended on him. We only pray and we only seek him when we want him to do things for us. And yet, he simply desires for us to commune with him, to have fellowship with him, to enjoy that, to listen, to align one's heart with his heart. And so as we come upon the Lord's Prayer, more appropriately, it should be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus had no need to pray this prayer. There was nothing that he had to ask for forgiveness for. He was teaching his disciples to pray. And so he was asked uh, by his disciples to teach them how to pray. And Jesus taught them this pattern of prayer. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. You know, as we go through, we know that Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer uh, has greater details. But as we look at the account of Mark, it, it just brings us simply to the pattern. And that's what it emphasizes. That's what we're looking at is the pattern of prayer that we ought to follow. Jesus himself was an example of praying often. As I had addressed earlier the fact that Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places and seek the Father by himself. And who was watching? The crowds were watching. His disciples were watching. And after one of those times, as we read here, one of those times that Jesus had withdrawn and prayed and spent time with the Father, one of his disciples approached him and asked if he could teach them to pray. Just like John the Baptist teaches his disciples, oh Lord, can you teach us to pray as well? The question is, what did they see that made them want to learn to pray, just as Jesus did, just as John did? There was something different about these prayers. There was an intimacy, perhaps, that they didn't see in the Pharisees. You know, when you hear a prayer, those that are just repetitive, there's something that is insincere about that. But when you hear someone pray whose heart is completely given to the Lord, who knows Him intimately, those prayers, oh, they're so genuine. They're so intimate. It draws you in. I, I, want, I want that heart. I want, I want that relationship with the Lord. That's what I want. And that's what they saw as Jesus spent time with the Father. Because there was something different. Something that affected them to such a degree that one of his disciples felt compelled to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. You need to notice something very important. And that is, 
although we learn how to pray, and we will learn how to pray, Jesus was asked to teach them to pray. What this implies is perhaps that those prayers that had been heaped up and offered before, those repetitive rote prayers that were long and lengthy and very flowery, perhaps weren't even prayers at all. They were just a lot of words that again were elevating man instead of elevating the name of the Lord. And so they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. After all the examples they had in the religious leaders of their, of their day, when they saw Jesus pray, they somehow discerned that they didn't know how to pray. They didn't know what prayer was at all. They needed to know what it was simply to pray. Think about the majesty of God. As I read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He desires that we would approach him. Not as some distant God. But as someone who is near, someone who is approachable, someone who inclines his ear to us and finds great joy and pleasure in hearing from you. He knows what you need even before you ask. And yet what he wants us to express is a, is a trust in him, a faith in him. He wants to just hear us. Ask. When we draw near, we draw near to the throne of grace. That is how God's throne is referred to. The throne of grace. That in that moment when we draw near to the throne of grace, that as we ask, that we may receive and find grace to help in time of need. We're asking the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, we're asking the creator of the universe. I've said it in the past. How would you approach the throne? Confidently and yet humbly. He is the king. He's the Lord. He is God almighty. I would think perhaps we would, we would crawl. We would bow ourselves before him. In Matthew 6, 9, Jesus said to his disciples, pray then like this. In other words, these are not words to recite. But this should rather serve as a, as a template to pray. To acknowledge who God is and what we seek. We acknowledge his holiness. We desire that his kingdom come. We look for his provision. We seek his forgiveness as we forgive others. We trust in his power to enable us to turn away from evil. Something that Luke didn't 
include in the recording of this pattern of prayer and was included in Matthew's account. Matthew 6.10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's our desire that as he wills in heaven, so it will be done on earth. Matthew also included at the end of the pattern of prayer in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 6, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The two are not repeated in the same way. They are not word for word, and it's on purpose. God's word has purpose. It is because what is recorded in Matthew and what is recorded in Luke is to serve us as a pattern to pray in and with. The the disciples, in fact, they understood very clearly that this was not a prayer that was to be repeated over and over, but rather a model for prayer that was to be used to pattern their prayers after To consider the heart of prayer. As you approach God in prayer, this is what you ought to consider. Your heart should be inclined to him in this manner. You should come to him conscientious of who he is. Aware of the words that you're speaking. And what your desires are. Pharisees, well, they loved to be heard. They loved the platform. They loved the crowds. They loved to be admired for their lengthy prayers. They loved to elevate themselves and really to show others how much they loved God by their many words. In fact, rabbis had sayings, whoever is long in prayer is heard. There's a famous Jewish prayer that begins, blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, and honored, magnified, and lauded be the name of the Holy One. You remember Peter's prayer when he was sinking in the water? It was shortened to the point, right? (laughs) Lord, save me. The more time we spend in our prayer closet, the longer we spend with the Lord in those times of devotion, seems like the shorter our prayers get in public. We know that we're simply petitioning him in those times corporately. That he glorify himself. That his will be done, not ours. And that we would align our will with his will. Listen, prayer time is not a time to let your hearers know how much you know. Prayer time is not a time to recite the latest thing you heard. Prayer time is not your opportunity to share your devotion. 
for everyone around you to hear. That's not the time for that. Save that for when you're with him one-on-one. Is your prayer genuine? Or perhaps it's just like the, the Pharisees prayed. It's empty. It means nothing because you desire to elevate yourself, not the Lord. You want others to see you and how knowledgeable you are. You want them to hear what you have to say to them. No, you're praying to the Father who is in heaven. You're not, it's not your time to, to talk to those who are around you in corporate prayer. That's not the time to make a point that you wouldn't make a point to someone's face. It's not a time to gossip either in the name of prayer. Oh, Lord, you know that lady. We pray for her. (laughs) She has many issues. It's not time for that. If you notice, even this model is short. And it is for corporate prayer. Our Father. Give us, forgive us. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 2 and 3 says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness or business and a fool's voice with many words. And so, you know, come with few words in corporate prayer. Lay them out for others to say amen. For others to agree with you. You know, there is no evidence in the Bible of anyone addressing God in prayer by, these, by praying these exact words. Think about that. There's no time in the New Testament. There, there's no point in any of Paul's letters, Paul's prayers. Peter, John... We don't see anywhere where it was that they recited this specific prayer with these specific words, ever. So think about that. It's not a prayer to recite in a ritualistic manner. First and foremost, know who you are praying to. You know... Jesus gave us access to the Father. He is our advocate and he is our mediator. But you now have access into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. And so when you pray, you're thanking Jesus, you're praying in his name, but you're praying to the Father. You have access to him. Demonstrate reverence. As you approach him, he is on his heavenly throne. He is above everything. He is sovereign. He is all powerful. He is majestic and he has dominion over everything. Consider that when you are approaching the Father. 
As you come and you think about this, I'm coming to the Father, our Father. Hallowed be thy name. Oh, there is no one like you. You are set apart. You're the creator of the universe. Your kingdom come. This demonstrates a desire to know what is willed in heaven. Uh, King David was a man after God's own heart. He made many blunders, but at the same time, we know that he was a man of repentance. He was a man who would humble himself before our Father who is in heaven. Whom he knew was separate. There was no one like him. He humbled himself before him and he desired that his kingdom come, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. More often we are asking that our, our will be done in heaven as it is willed on earth. And that is why we get frustrated. That is why we end up getting filled with pride. We get filled with worry. Because we're, we're not even approaching God in the way in which we should. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, teach me today. Speak to me today. I want to know your will and I want to apply and walk in your will. Period. Whatever that may be. Whatever that may be. We demonstrate that this is true by the way we respond when things don't go our way. And that is that we want him to do things our way. We do. It's, it's obvious. Brothers and sisters, it's obvious when we fall short. When we're, when we're really demanding him to do things our way. Because when he delays or he says no, we act like a bratty child, throwing a tantrum. Our face says it all. The way we carry ourselves says it all. We don't have to say a word. Oh, that we would learn to just simply be content with whatever it is that God wills for us. The prayer pattern, this model goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. In this, what we're, what we're doing is, is we're trusting the Lord to provide everything that we need. Well, what if he says a little bit? Would you be okay with that? If he says a lot, would you be consumed by that? Uh, be careful what you ask for. Be careful that you don't take what God has entrusted to you and spend it on yourself to the point to where you neglect the very one who's given you everything. Be content with what you have, whether it's little or much, but trust in God to provide for you whatever it is that he's providing for you. Give us this day our daily bread 
is a heart that looks to God, acknowledging him, trusting him for our provision and our content with whatever it is that he does provide. And by that, learn again to be content with him. The greatest possession that we can have is him. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In Matthew 6.8, Jesus said, Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows. Goes on to say in verse 4. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The question, and and we've gone through Matthew, so we've gone through the study in this portion of Scripture. But why would God not forgive your trespasses if you do not forgive others? And the answer is, because you remain in your sin. (laughs) You you yourself don't do the very thing that you're expecting everyone else to do. It's interesting how that happens. You want everyone else to forgive you and to be compassionate with you and to be gracious toward you, to be merciful toward you, to be long-suffering toward you. And yet the Lord tells all of us, To be ready and willing to forgive each other. To be long-suffering, to be patient, to be gracious, to be merciful with each other. It's not just a one-way street. If you have offended someone, then go to them. I'm not talking about hurt feelings. Because sometimes our feelings get hurt for reasons that are without justification. It's because we're thinking of ourselves. We're self-centered. I'm talking about actual sin, an actual offense. We have to go to each other and reconcile quickly. But knowing that it has to go both ways. Do you expect God to do something that you will not do? Even when he has commanded you to. He's commanded each and every one of us to forgive. In John 14, 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, John writes, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Again, the model of prayer. So, and and please forgive us of our sins 
as we forgive others their, their sins, their trespasses against us. Oh, we're going to look beyond them, Lord, because it glorifies you. It honors you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Oh, that love goes beyond yourself. It considers God's glory over yours. It actually compels you to to humble yourself and to seek the Lord's glory. And lead us not into temptation. As the last portion of what Luke records here. This is... um, Temptations test us, don't they? And it's a daily temptation. It's a daily testing. It's not something that happens on occasion. But we are, we are tempted all the time. We are tested on a daily basis. If not, just, if you don't think that, just pay attention to your thoughts. And it doesn't take long for you to think something that you should not be thinking. For you to think something in response to something that someone else said. And you're quickly reminded that, oh, there's that temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Our problem is that we don't look for the back door. We're not interested in the way of escape. We're simply blinded by our sin. We're looking at what's before us and not what God has provided for us to get out of the situation, the predicament that we have gotten ourselves into. Sometimes we are fooled into thinking that we've gone too far. And that is never true. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't give us a condition. But if you've gone too far, forget it. Don't worry about confessing your sin. Because at this point, no, he doesn't say that, does he? He's always willing. He's always ready. The moment we are willing to humble ourselves before God, he's willing to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We may ask God to not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to resist it. And we know that he is faithful to not tempt us in that manner. We just read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He will not tempt us. He will not bring us to that place that is beyond our ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Meaning to persevere. To get through it in such a way that you don't succumb to that temptation. What he did promise was that he would give you a way of escape every single Time. There is not one temptation that he will allow you to go into without also giving you a way of escape. 
not, that has a purpose, that you may be able to persevere, that you would remain steadfast in the truth, that you would turn away from evil in that moment of temptation. You know, the more you resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit in those moments, the quieter that voice gets. The more you quench the Holy Spirit, the less you hear of Him. The more you reject His voice, you get to a point to where you harden your heart and you are fully immersed in your sin. I'm telling you that, brothers and sisters, because I found myself in that very place years ago. I was walking with the Lord, and I remember doing things that weren't pleasing to Him. I I started to turn my back on the Lord, and, and I remember that conviction in the moment. And it was heavy. I remember fighting against that conviction and doing things anyway. And then the next time I I did it, it was less convicting. It was a little easier. At some point, I found myself fully immersed in my sin. You see, the Lord had just simply given me over to it. The desires of my own heart. I didn't pay attention to the way of escape. I was more interested in my will, not his will. Pretty soon I wasn't seeking him at all. I was back to just living for myself. Living a destructful life. A life that I'm ashamed to say that I was affecting other people with. Many people. Too many people pray this. That is in lead us not into temptation. And yet at the same time test God by putting themselves in situations that tempt them. How ridiculous is that? Oh Lord. Um, I, I don't I don't want to drink anymore. I know that it's causing just havoc. Wreaking havoc on my life on my marriage on my family my employment. Next thing, you you see them going to a bar or enjoying tossing some back with some, some, some of the fellas. And it's like, why would you put yourself in those situations? Men? And lead us not into temptation. And yet, it's really easy to pick this thing up. Search up some things that you shouldn't be searching for. And give yourself right over to pornography. And lead us not into temptation. Now, the devil doesn't need anything to do. He doesn't need... To do anything. He just needs to sit back and watch you succumb to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. We destroy ourselves. We give him too much credit. 
We ought to always be looking for that way of escape and take it. The, the, the more often you get into that habit of just, just like, I'm just going to go out the side right here. I don't care what you guys think. My buddies, I don't care what you think. I'm going to go out the side here. I'm not going to participate in this. In fact, I'm not even going to put me in, the, in this situation ever again. I'm not going to participate in that discussion, in those jokes. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to look at that either. There's a way of escape. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so don't take yourself into temptation. And don't take others into temptation either. Sooner or later, if you insist, the Lord will give you over to what you really desire in your own heart. And we know this as we see in Romans chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I'm going to read the rest of this. And I want, to, I want you to keep in mind the day in which we're living in. Because these things have no place in the church. Like I, I've said before, it is biblical. God made man in his image. He made them male and female. But... Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then he goes on to say, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He goes on to say, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And he goes on, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous degree, decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. If we insist on our own way, our own desires... If we reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, eventually the Lord will withdraw and give you over to whatever it is that you desire most. The pattern of prayer. 
This is a pattern. So these are the things that we pray for. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, at the same time, remember what it says in the word. As the apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, with every temptation, he will give you a way of escape. Start looking for that. This is a pattern of prayer. This is, this is a, a way in which things that we ought to acknowledge and think about as we're praying, as we're seeking the Lord. This pattern of prayer acknowledges who God is, confesses that your desire is whatever God's desire is, that you trust in God to provide everything you need and will be content with whatever it is that he provides, that you will live your life in reflection to God's, forgiving others as you seek God to forgive you, and turning away from evil as you ask God to keep you from the tempter. A.W. Tozer, and I'll leave you with this, said this, quote, Let a man set his heart only on doing the will of God, and he is instantly free. God answers prayers, not because we are good, but because he is good. Amen? Father, I thank you, Lord, that you do incline your ear to us. You desire to hear from us, and yet, Lord, we ought to approach you. We need to learn how to approach you, who we are praying to, what our desires should be. Lord, you are the one who gives good gifts. You are the one who, Lord, loves us with an everlasting love. You, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And, Lord, you have a prepared a place for us that we would enjoy fellowship with you for all eternity. Lord, let us find great joy in having fellowship with you right now. Lord, that we would acknowledge you for as our God, our Lord, our Savior. And so I ask, Lord, because these prayers are, are meant for your people. Lord, this was a pattern of prayer that was taught to your disciples uh, this pattern of prayer is, is not for the unbeliever because the only prayer that you hear from an unbeliever is forgive me forgive me I repent fill me with your spirit be my savior I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and desire to know his forgiveness. If there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as Lord, as Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May at this very moment there be reflected in, in your heart, God, a, a desire toward them that they would see that that they would respond by completely surrendering their lives to you. By confessing that Jesus is Lord, that he has died and you raised him from the grave. Lord, that they are forgiven because their sins have been completely atoned for and paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, if they would just 
believe and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that today be the day of salvation. And I pray for the church that we would learn how to pray and that we would do it often. That we would express a reliance upon you, a trust in you, a desire to walk in your will, not our will, and be content with you, satisfied, find great joy in our relationship with you, that as we enter into the throne of grace, that we, we would do so confidently, filled with reverence and an awe that we get to come before you, the creator of the universe. And so, Lord, help us to be a church who looks to you and trusts in you expresses it through prayer often, continuously each and every day until we go home to be with you Lord help us to pray in Jesus name we pray Amen